0: Hello and welcome to a special edition of the Storied Arc's podcast where we bring you another creator interview. This time we get the privilege of speaking with Sarah Gailey, writer of Eat the Rich, Know Your Station, many novels, uh, and some Buffy the Vampire Slayer comics, and the first standalone White Widow series at Marvel. We're very excited to bring you this interview, so please be sure to check the links in the description to subscribe to their newsletter and purchase their books and support them in every way. That you can without any further ado here is writer sarah gill uh what is your comic origin story uh from the episodes we've discussed people know that you began writing vlogs and short stories novels and then added comics to the repertoire and so i've kind of wanted to know you know is it something that was just an opportunity that came along or was comics kind of one of the goals from the get-go
1: it's so funny um both are true um i've i've I don't even know if I've talked about this before. Um, I have talked elsewhere about the way I started writing comics professionally, which was at the at the kind of invitation and mentorship of an editor who was, he's no longer working in comics, but at the time he was an editor at Boom and was absolutely instrumental in building my confidence and my craft in comics writing. Um, and he brought me on to write a Steven Universe IP to help me sort of understand that I could write comics. He was like, you can do this. And I was like, not only can I do I not know that I can write comics, I don't know that I can write for kids. Kids are so hard to write for because they have a certain level of, you know, mental and emotional development, but also are so sensitive to condescension. Um, if a kid catches a whiff of condescension, they're out. And I was like, uh, I don't know if I'm cut out for this. And he was like, do this. And... Meanwhile, we will talk about your um, creator-owned pitch that you're working on. And that was how Eat the Rich happened. So in a way, um, comics was not a professional goal for me. It felt way too far out of reach. And I ended up being sort of um, shown that it wasn't as far out of reach as I thought. At the same time, I have always loved comics. And I recently discovered in my mom's house um, an old file folder with a comic that I drew when I was in fourth grade wow. uh, called the adventures of purple dog. Uh, you're never going to guess what this character's thing is. I'm gonna,
2: purple, a dog that's purple, possibly. Got- oh,
1: my, holy, <laughs> how did you, how did you get it? I was going to say, I'm,
2: I'm, you I'm, have I'm, my daughter's attention. I'm, I've read a lot of comics <laughs> in my life. I can, I'm, I'm pretty good at sussing <laughs> these things out. Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> um, he, his adventures were very anti-graffiti. Because I didn't really, I, I didn't, I don't know quite what crime was. Um, and my, like, my main understanding of it was from like Free Willy, uh, uh, where it, a kid does some graffiti and he has to become friends with a, an orca as punishment. Uh, um,
2: we used to be a country, didn't we? Jeez. <laughs> yeah.
1: I know. No, yeah, I, uh, we got to go back.
0: I, that, I did have a birthday party as a child organized around seeing Free Willy in the theater. So, and, you, uh,
1: what a good birthday. Damn.
0: Uh let me tell you though, uh my mom had to have two tries at the cake. Uh homemade black icing doesn't taste great. So we ended oh. up eating a very brown whale. <laughs> so um, the second try, the second try we had a brown whale, and then you know, all of the like very young children were like, that's not what color the whale is. It's like, all right, you little like you want the black whale, have it. <laughs> Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. And
1: as the birthday king, you were like, I say it's the brown whale.
0: <laughs> yeah. I, well, I don't think I knew that I could throw my weight around like that on a birthday. Uh, no. uh you oh, know, that's an understanding
1: that comes with maturity. Yeah. Well, I was like,
0: yeah, it was my birthday, but I was a middle child, so you know, it's yeah. like oh. offsetting.
1: Yeah.
0: Um <laughs> so, so anyway, middle children
1: okay. only get a half, half of a birthday.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh if that, like yeah. You know, like I'm not, I'm not even going to bring up the time we picked our family pet while I was at baseball practice.
1: <laughs> wow. I, th- I
0: think they forgot I wasn't there in a family of five, which is really tough. Um, That's
1: brutal.
2: That's very, it's very cool. home yeah. alone. It was, was right think, after but, we
0: had gone yeah. to the doctor and I'd taken an allergy test and they were like, yeah, he's super allergic to cats. And then my older sister was like, but I really want a kitten. And so they went and picked one out when I had no say. Yeah.
2: Says so I mean, the guy who now are, has like a gonna... dozen cats in his house. Yeah, right? no, I, mean... I,
0: I have embraced my. Uh, <laughs> I was like the body, the body's code can be rewritten. If I expose myself <laughs> to enough cats, I will adapt or die, and I've adapted, so I'm thriving now.
1: I'm glad um, it was the first one.
0: <laughs> well, you know, um, uh, so, so you've had an interest in comics, even though that you kind of stumbled into it a little bit. Uh, so who are some of your comic influences? I'm particularly curious if the artist that I compare you to a lot is numbered among your influences.
1: Ooh, I'm I'm also, I'm interested especially to be compared to an artist because I am not responsible for any of the art in my well, comics. Well, I'm in a writer, yeah. Uh,
0: Nobody no, wants that for me. <laughs> this person, well, this person only writes, although uh, occasionally will do his own variants, which I would imagine kind of look like the purple dog.
1: Probably, um, man. That dog sure was purple, though. I had something there, and I need to bring it back. DC, call me. We can do something. We can do something gritty. You, no, um, you want right. to own it? I'm yeah, in. you yeah. want to own in. it? Yeah. Uh, I think
0: it, it sounds more like a dark horse, uh, purple dog universe.
1: Yeah, well, a, dar- a dark dog, if you will. Yeah, uh, which is just a horse with soft hooves. Uh, So my my, I mean, my influences are are varied, right? And. I've loved comics for a long time, so I have, like, early influences. Um, I was reading so much uh, original Amazing Spider-Man, I would just read through the collection over and over again. Um, And Blade of the Immortal, I stole from my big sister's shelf uh, (laughs) when I was far below the recommended reading age for that comic, and I was like, time to learn about the world! (laughs) Uh, But I've also, for the last year and a half or so, I've been Immersing myself pretty intensely in like a comics curriculum. Um, I I have been reading comics from a perspective of like general interest for a long time, but in this last year and a half, I was like, it's time for me to make sure that I know what people are talking about when I talk to comics people who are trying to share their their craft um, and their perspective on writing and art with me, which people very generously do. So, um, in this last year of reading, I've picked up some newer influences, newer to me, uh, not new to the industry who have completely changed the way that I write and are really impacting what I'm working on right now. Um, so Mark Russell is like, that's, has completely that's the one. smashed my brain into smithereens. You compare me to Mark Russell?
0: Oh yeah. Oh I'm
1: yeah. Gonna, oh, I'm going to do something we, bodily we, impossible. Are you? Yeah. Are we No, every podcast? time
0: I'm. If someone says they like Mark Russell, I'm like the little clippy the pay per click, I'm like, <laughs> I think you might also like Sarah
1: Gailey. Yeah. Wow, that is the biggest compliment I can imagine getting. I'm very I'm
0: just glad, a, uh, yeah, I'm glad you read Mark. Okay, well, uh, uh, okay. Uh, so, did so, you I'll, ever I'll, read uh um, sorry, I'll, real quick Mishaps, yeah. which was his uh, self published uh journal of cartoons? No. Okay. You had to kickstart it, but okay, um, I'm taking a note. Yeah, no, I have it. Uh, it's incredible. He signed each copy, uh, and, and mailed them out, I think himself, but, uh, his art is hilarious. It's because <laughs> he like wrote and, and illustrated the entire thing.
2: I I, I oh, would just I, say, I'll just say Sarah that uh, you know, Mike and I had not talked about that, but as soon as he said three minutes ago, he was thinking of a creator that you reminded him of, um, Mark Russell was a, I was like, he's going to say Mark Russell. I'm always positive, so <laughs> oh. so you you can you can take that with 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 with, with full compliments. I think M- Mark Russell is a writer that Mark and I, Mike and I both, I think, absolutely adore. Just for his ability to take, um, like absurdist level satire, um, and and have it be on that top level really absurd, and then have a next level. Where there's some like real social commentary, and then there's a next level that maybe it's just like a, a weird funny meta joke, and there's a, a next level below that that has real heart, and it's like there's so much going on there. Um, and and I think you see that throughout all of his books there, and I think uh, something that Mike and I really grabbed onto when we read both Eat the Rich and Nervous Station is that I think we see a lot of those elements in there. So well, to, to be fair, to, to hear you say that that you've been reading him and 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 pulling influences from that um you know we're 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 all on the same wavelength here absolutely <laughs> so wh- wh- whatever you're tapping into there and, and 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 early on and 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 maybe what you think how it's influencing going forward i, I think yeah you you're 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 on a track there we we can see that as readers so
1: wow <laughs> my rotten little heart is just reinflating from this. Uh, um i'm you know, so I qu- i'm I so quoted touched.
0: His letter that he wrote in the introduction to the Flintstone Select edition when we were talking about your book, because he says something about like if something's worth saying, it's worth saying loud. And the time for grad school subtlety is gone. And uh I was like, Yeah, I think they're like they're tapping into the same type of things here. And the only so our podcast typically will do one completed series, you know. Three, four, six volumes, whatever, and just do one trade paperback a week. With both Mark Russell and you, they're all one trade stories. So we took two one trade stories and then did like a comparison discussion. So for him, oh, we did cool. Flintstones and Not All Robots, and for you, we've done um, Eat the Rich and Know Your Station.
1: Oh, that is so that is so cool. His, I mean, his Snagglepuss. Um, I mean, I didn't start reading him until after uh i had completed writing their station and when i read his snagglepuss i remember yeah. putting it down and thinking this is this is the shit i want to be writing this is the level i want to meet um he's he's incredible he's incredible like you know i don't have to tell um and then i do want to you know share another comics influence that again i didn't start reading it until later um because everyone had told me how intense it was and how like oh you really have to brace yourself and i was like never quite in a place where i was like i want to be bracing myself and then finally this last year i was like it's time and i just ripped through all of his work and was like oh this is this is what i want to be writing is Ito. um oh, yeah i had been kind of dodging around Jujito for a long time because i was like everyone is telling me it's going to be really hard to read and it's like it kicks ass it's so much fun to read <laughs> I I think people need to kind of like grow up a little bit. Um and the I can't share any details, but I will say that the like writing comps for the series that I'm about to dive into working on are Mark Russell Meets Jujito and I'm pretty stoked about it. <laughs> I, well, first of
0: all, yeah, I mean, I think we also said this about you that and I think you might be the first the fastest person to reach this accolade for me, but you are a person who went from, I've never heard of them. Who is that to, I will buy anything they put their name on. And I don't think it took that long. Uh, I think I have, I now I, I probably have 20 comic creators that I feel that way about, but most of them cultivated over a much longer period of time. Um, so yeah, and
2: and I hope I definitely have not invested in your comics. I, I, I don't
1: know. <laughs> I, you shoplifted all of them.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. They are, they, these are these are just random books I pulled out of my came collection. With, came with that the just, house. Yeah, There's, they came. They're, the- they're load bearing <laughs>
0: comics. Um. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> I don't have any. I don't so have. I don't have. To I don't- me,
2: Mike. I don't have I don't have Buffy though because I I that felt disingenuous because I've not read Buffy I'm not a I'm not a Buffy I've never seen Buffy or or read in the comics my brother's a big Buffy fan I think he's read most or all the expanded universe stuff there so it, it, it would have felt disingenuous if I like went and bought a copy just there you know I've got Eat the Rich here of my shoulder Notice Station also have White Widow which we'll get to later books that I have actually read and, and very much enjoyed so um, oh, no those it, covers
1: are so beautiful
2: uh, they, they they're I mean the.
0: Jenny Prison is how we, is how I discovered your work.
2: One uh, thing I, I, mean, I know I've got the, the variants for both Eat the Rich number one and, and No Station number one, which are done by um, Becca Carey, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah and, we've got and,
1: Becca Carey, um, yeah. Jen Woodall, I think. And then uh, Wait Widow has the art germ variants as well. Oh, yeah. And yeah, uh, I, I, Kevin yeah, Tong, I, I think.
2: Yeah. I've got the I've got Archer up there for White Widow there, but you know the, 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 there's kind of like this minimalist kind of cover to them, and then those ended up being the covers for your trades. They actually use right. those for the trades, which I think is is really cool because I mean they're they're the Eat the Rich one is is just like wildly evocative. You see that on a shelf, like you're you're stopping and taking a look at that. Well, we'll get to that there. Um, so. I, way you describe, what whatever this this new comic is, which I guess that jumps down to the end. We talk about what you can or cannot tease. It sounds like you can't really tease it yet, but that that right there seemed like a pretty good tease for for, for the, the, the next thing you're working on. So, no, I hope so. Whatever that is, whenever whenever that comes out, uh, I think Mike and I will both be diving into it. Yeah,
0: does it have a cat? It
1: can, but I don't think the cat will have a good time. Nope. If there is,
0: nope, nope, you, nope. you can't kill a cat. <laughs> i don't Um, think
1: you want a cat in there well actually i could have hang on a second because i could have the cat actually have a great time and that would be worse
0: yeah well i was gonna say (laughs) okay all right
1: hang on i'm taking notes i have a good idea
0: yeah i was like (laughs) a lot of ito's work has cats in it which is uh you know i go to the manga shop in my neighborhood and uh they know that i'm like a crazy cat person so they they're always like they uh, sold me Anything on Night of the cat. Night Anything of the, the Cat. Yeah, they sold they sold me on Night of the Living Cat last year, which is a Night of the Living Dead horror story. Uh, but instead of turning into like a zombie or something, people were turning into cats. Uh, oh, fun. But the cats were so cute that people knew they had to stay away, but as soon as they saw one, they were like, Oh, I think I think I could just pet it once. And it's like <laughs> all of society crumbles in this way. And, this was uh,
1: written by a person who is allergic to cats and who understands what that life is like.
0: Uh, clearly. yeah, yeah, clearly, yeah, yeah. more than likely. <laughs> um, so anyway, we 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 started talking about Eat the rich, so we might as well, uh, dive in a little bit there. There's a lot that could be said. Uh, I think it's it's almost too on the nose to say you know, I detect some get out in in the uh, in the plot of that book. Um, but at the end of the book, there's this spark of revolution, which is what we're kind of waiting for, and I love that the main character goes through this complex journey of by like issue three has sold out and is like, well, I guess I could live this way. You know, it's not so bad. And you start to see like the rationalization. Uh, and then at the end, um, you know, you get this underclass uniting and revolting, and then the book ends. Like you can feel what the next 10 pages are, but they aren't there. And so I have like my theories as to why this would be the case, but can you talk about the choice of how to end it there? Why to end it there?
1: Yeah. Um, I, I don't think anyone has asked me this question before and I'm extremely excited to get to talk about this because, um, that was a very deliberate choice to end it there. Um, For two reasons. The first reason is that this story is very much the story of an individual. Um, In Rich, we are really focused on Joey and her uh, personal journey of like understanding the way of the world and the shape of the world and the nature of class. It's not the story of an entire society. This isn't a Les Mis story we're not getting to see um, in-depth looks at every single level of culture. And I don't feel that it makes a lot of sense to have um, a revolution, <clears throat> excuse me, to have a revolution story that is based in the individual, because that's not how societal change works. That's not how revolution works. There's this, like, white middle-class fantasy of the revolution being led by one guy who goes, we're going to change everything. And that's just not how this kind of thing works. Um The other reason I didn't want to show an entire revolution is because I don't write didactic literature. Um, I write work that often has class and social commentary in it, and that often has observations about culture and society. But I'm not interested in writing books that say, here's the answer. Here's how you make it all right. And here's how you live in a good and virtuous way. Um, I think that that kind of literature is actively dangerous and the people who seek it out end up being some of the most dangerous people in our society. And so I wasn't interested in writing a comic that says, here's the solution. I was interested in writing a comic that said, here's what happens when people break. When people have had enough, bad things happen to the people who have made them have enough. And it's kind of up to the reader whether or not they think that is a good thing or a bad thing, whether they think that's a solution to a problem or just creates more problems. Um, I prefer to leave that kind of thing, hopefully, for my readers to chew on and to decide and think about and discuss instead of me handing them a little pellet of, you know, right. moralist information.
0: Yeah. No, that's really good. And it actually makes me feel better about the way that I interacted with the ending of Know Your Station, because I I, I think Alex and I may have differed on this one, but I think I was like, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm glad they like, you know, they had their little revolution revolt or whatever, but now it seems like they've just chosen a new master. And I'm like, yeah. I, I guess, I guess they moved up one tick because it's now the master of their choosing rather than the, the master of by default, but, uh, they are still just looking to fall in line somewhere. And I think that actually is the symptom of people in captivity is like you can give them freedom, you could liberate them, and they don't always even know how to move forward without um some dictatorial entity, whether it's rich people or AI or what whatever. So um that that was how I, you know I, I that was my uneasiness at the end of New Your Station. Not all of the not all of the body horror artwork. Um <laughs> I I had gotten pretty pretty uh desensitized to that by the end of the first issue. Yeah.
1: i mean i love this i love this um line of thought that you have here because like the top secret secret of a lot of my class commentary writing is that a lot of it is uh about the horror of liberal ideals of revolution and change um i am quite far to the left of most american liberals And I see a lot of them expressing their ideas of change and their ideas of change are just put new boots on the same system. Right. Uh, And so a lot of the endings of the social commentary that I write in my short fiction and my longer fiction and in my comics is the horror of that, those new boots and saying, sure seems like we're just doing the same thing over again and saying that it's triumph. Um, and I'm very, I'm very tickled that you had that interpretation.
2: Okay. Well, well that's a, that a that, that, that's a win for Mike. Normally when we well, have. No, these that's interviews, the, no, tickled not, does not
1: mean
0: it was a correct interpretation. I, I, yeah, well, tickled it, it, means it, it, amused. <laughs> so I may, I may the, be a fool in this conversation.
2: Take, take the win there. Mike. Most times we've had these conversations. We've been lucky enough to talk to the creators and there's some sort of theory about, um, what the book is about or underlining meaning or whatever. Um, basically I've batted a thousand. Like I've never been wrong. Like every time we talk to creator, they have coming on my side there. So, so this one, this one goes to Mike here.
1: I I, want to know your, I want to know what L you think you're taking.
2: Well, I I don't think it's, it it was a matter of um, at least specifically with know your station. I think the, the idea of, um, I guess I didn't see it so much as like, you know, in in the end there, Lisa and, and, and Marin and all them have like just, Taken on a new master there. I, I think. I, I think maybe I put a little more stock into the idea of choice. Um, in that, okay, yes, maybe all we've all we've now done is 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 put this AI in control, and I guess we're good as long as the AI stays aligned with us. And and if the AI flips, then we're all kind of screwed. Um, but I I think I put a little more stock into the into them making an active choice as opposed to opting into a system that gave them no choice here at least. They were they were the ones choosing this system um, versus being a part of it. I think I put a little more stock into that than 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 Mike did. Um, but I, I, think I, I think I then
0: I, quoted the second Matrix movie at you, which I think is always a mistake. But but um, no, no, I, I,
2: but I, I can whoop. I can I can see that now. I can see how, how what you're saying because I, I actually I think that maybe applies a little more what you're saying there, Sarah, to to eat the rich because you know in the end, like one little community. Is potentially changed right but we saw we saw the reach of this whole larger community of out in the world and 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 these people here um of which Crestview bless like represents a small portion of like they're still out there in the world you know they're all over um in all matters of society so like nothing is really nothing has changed in the larger world from from what happens in your story like you said it's a very personal story it's a journey of of one person um really one person in this one location and it's like joey's gonna like they're gonna be good all the help there they're gonna be good as long as they pretty much stay right there but you know is there any idea of them going out and doing and overthrowing everything like you said that's not not what the book's about the book isn't about them trying to then okay let's take this idea and and take down everybody Let's go down and over the entire system. They they seem pretty content to be like, listen, we we we've taken over this place here, and we're, we're good now. And so, yeah, does does that um does that equal revolution? Does that equal change at all? Or have you simply just you know, change the things for yourself? the The larger structures of society, the 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 problems that you're commenting on here, like they all still exist. Like no, nothing really has changed for anybody else. It's just the journey of one person here. You know, and and and, exactly, and is yeah. that is is that a win? It's a it, is it a win for her? Is it a win at all in the larger sense? You know, so I, I think I think um, I like that ambiguity, and and I like hearing you talk about saying that that's that's really the point. That it's it's not about it's not about moralizing. You're you're obviously commenting on on a broken system, and saying and being very pointed about that. Being very pointed, as specific. Like here are the ways things are broken. Um, but yeah, you're not saying. But I know how to fix it. Like you're not saying, listen to me, I know what's I, I know how to fix it, I know how to make it better. It's simply just um this is what happens when you live in a system like this. And
1: exactly, yeah. When you
2: look when you look at a world like the system you're showing is is I mean, hopefully we're not eating people. Um, but in, in, in <laughs> one hopes. At this point, I have no idea. But in general, the larger sense, the larger It is an metaphor, election year, yeah. yeah the, listen, one day
1: at a time, you yeah, know, we, really, we do yeah, our best. Baby steps. Um, uh, yeah. I will also say, Alex, I don't think that your thoughts about the end of Know Your Station are wrong either, because both of you are discussing whether or not these people have put St. Bridget in control. Mm-hmm. And I think both of you are also talking about the way that they engage with her in a very hierarchical sense. And I wonder if there's room in, for both of your interpretations in an idea of the story in which there's a collaboration that one hopes won't evolve into control, but can't know what the outcome will be. When you're dealing with you know, a very powerful being who controls your every breath in outer space, uh, you you wanna have a friendship and a collaboration and equal sense of power in that dynamic. Can that equality really exist between the two of you is yeah. for the reader's imagination. <laughs>
0: yeah. Sure, yeah, I mean, yeah. It, yeah. And it did seem like St. Bridget was totally prepared to have that type of symbiotic relationship but it was a matter of whether the humans even knew how to function with that level of dignity because they'd so internalized their station which I Mm -hmm. you know I was taking as like a very Austin Tinian like Dickensian 19th century English talking about station like you know your station in life and not being able to ascend or uh, something like that. So that when I first read the title, that was what grabbed me and I was looking for that. So I was a little primed from the the title.
2: Um, I, I want to, before we leave and, and really kind of get into your station, I wanted to talk a little bit about the the process of eat the rich. Um, I, I mentioned here, one of my, I think one of my favorite parts of eat the rich are the panels in which you have text in the panels that's outside of narration boxes and 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 text boxes and word balloons something that Mike and I talked about when, when, when we discussed the book um I, I love a visual trick like that because that's something you could only do in comics like you can you can you can get away with it maybe in animation or something like that where you just have like text on the screen but it works so well uh on the page and i think the way that it was used in eat the rich is fantastic to get you know cuz we have Narration boxes, so we already know what Joey's thinking at times. But then to see the text outside of that, just in the panel, um, gives us an extra layer of either what she's feeling, what she's thinking. It, it it adds so much more to the character beyond just what the words actually say. Simply their their visual visualization on the on the page gives us insight into that. So I'm curious, was that something that you had? was that written in the script? Like, had you visualized that something that you wanted to do, or is that something that as you're um, kind of working with the, the, the full art team and all that, 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 that evolved later into the story.
1: That was absolutely the script. I am such a hand lettering junkie. I am like, Oh, I, I understand the need for um, like digital computerized lettering in comics, but I have my, my little heart. It's so devoted to hand lettering and to the amazing things you can do with it. I love bringing the words into the art, bringing the art into the words. Like I, I love the way that those two things can unify. And so that was all over the script. Um, Pius was amazing. I, I. So
2: that, that was my question. What was, was so that was art? That was that was Pius Bach doing that actual art, not that wasn't Carter with a letterer working on that way. That was that was built in. So I guess before going to the lettering phase, those texts were drawn in,
1: right? So oh, uh, cool. the all of the letters that are part of the art, like the mm-hmm. the words on Joey's shirt, mm-hmm. um, and those letters that are in the panel, were all um, part of the art. Cardinal is incredible in letters. I love working with Cardinal on letters, and um, they bring so much adventurous and uh, like visually fascinating dimension to their letters. I don't want to undersell that at all every time i've gone to work with cardinal the letters have been like top tier and they've also been on board for every weird thing that i want to do with letters and bubbles um but i got i got really spoiled with eat the rich because i was like hey what if we do this thing and then i would i'd write this thing in the script that would be completely deranged um like the words it tasted okay being this like huge overwhelming thing in the panel that like frames joey's entire experience um and everybody was like yeah great let's do it and it it made something so gorgeous um i just i can't believe how lucky i got with that that they were willing and able to pull that off yeah
2: that's really great i said i did that that panel i think that was that a full page spread, I think, her at the table I think it's a there? Splash, I think? Yeah. Yeah, I think it was a full splash there. Uh, the, the 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 one that I, I really enjoyed and I, I mentioned in, in Mike and I discussion is um later in probably in issue four or five there, after Joey has tried to assimilate through and she goes down to the beach and it's um is it is it pedal? I'm sorry, mm-hmm. I the, yeah, Petal. Mm-hmm. So you know, she sits down next to her and basically is, like she can tell something's wrong and, and 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 can ask her what it is, and then there's a panel where Joey looks exasperated and it just says everything that happened all summer. <laughs> and then, and yeah. then the, and then the next panel is pedal reacting to this, which you assume was just like a massive, like 15 minute diatribe, just like word vomit out of, out of Joey's mouth. And what I loved about that is, is, you know, it, we, the reader, we don't need to be retold. We, we don't need to recount everything. We know this already. So it's actually not important the specific words that she's saying there. And the other way I can picture this panel and I've seen it done before is maybe like a giant word balloon with just like a block of text, right? No spaces, no punctuation. The words actually run like beyond what you can see in the word balloon. Just to, just to to, to show you, it just, here's a whole bunch of words. And and, uh-huh. and it, it's, it's, it it gives the reader this idea. If you, you don't know what she says, but you know what she's saying. And it, it's interpreted of that. Um, in this moment, it's not important what she's saying. It's the fact that she can say it to pedal that she, that pedals the one person that Joey can just unload on and, 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 and be open with versus everyone else in, in, in the higher society there. And so I I said, I said, one of those tricks that I love where you said, you don't have to waste time recapping all this. You don't have to put all that text in there. You can have this one panel with these words here in a way and, and, and deliver, what the character is feeling and what the situation is in a way that you can really only do in comics and i said I, I love seeing something like that i love hearing that it's it's actually part of the art too um i think one thing we taught we mentioned was um uh in saga i know phonographics does all of their letters for brian K. Vaughan and fiona staples but anytime there's text on the page any of the narration, the handwritten stuff—that's all Fiona Staples. That's all part of the art there. So that's why I was curious, and I'm—I'm I'm glad you—you—you you, you specified that it was—it was Pius. Um, one question we don't have here, but I'm curious: with both Pius and eventually with 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 Liana, um, how did you get hooked up with them? Was that just through Boom? Was that through the editors there in terms of finding their art? Because I—I know, yeah, I knew Pius's art uh, at Boom because I had read the various um stories out of the Magicians kind of expanded universe from Lev Grossman. So I was familiar with his name and knew he had done some stuff with boom. So it was, he just someone that was kind of in their stable and had worked with that you just kind of got paired with and, 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 and went off. Is that how it worked or, or was there something that you kind of saw in, in in either one of their art that you felt would, would work well with, with the story you were telling
1: It's a little both. So for both of these series, I was working with incredibly brilliant editors um, for eat the rich, I was working with the editor who ended up um, bringing me into comics, Matt. And he uh, connected me with Pius and basically said, I think this will be a good fit. And I said, I trust your judgment. I I, I don't think that I know enough to know more than you on the subject. So I would love to work with Pius. And then for Know Your Station, I was working with Elizabeth Bry, um, who is... an incredible brilliant editor um, very responsible for pushing my work on Know Your Station to the level that it ended up being at and um, Elizabeth said I think you should work with this person Liana and did it in a very diplomatic way said here are three different artists here's this one here's this one here's this one here are my thoughts on all of them and Liana was a, a clear front runner there and I remember saying you know here are my thoughts on these other two and Elizabeth being like you want to work with Liana? And I am so glad that she said that. I'm so glad that I listened because I have ended up meeting such a brilliant professional collaborator and such a, an amazing friend through that process. Um, And Liana pushed the book to be better at every single turn. We ended up collaborating quite closely. Um, And I'm just so glad that we did.
2: I think I was I guess knowing nothing about the two of yours history there, but when we spoke to uh to Liana and asked her about that, um they said the same thing of like yeah, an editor put them together and 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 it it i was I was shocked by that because the that some say the book reads like these are two people who had maybe met at a con or something and talked, hey, I got this idea for a book, and yeah, we we're we're talking about it forever and then it finally gets made. It felt like it grew out of something like that versus the relatively anodyne, probably pretty standard of like oh i have the writer has a pitch and the editor goes well i think these are and, and that's how it gets paired and then something magical comes from that which happens i think mean, that's a story i've heard from a, a lot of creators of like you know these people who have worked together and you know for multiple books and well how'd you guys mean it's like well he just got he got put on this book for me you know um <laughs> I, 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 you know what a mike and i's favorite writers is is tom king and one of his i love tom king w- w- one of his frequent collaborators now is mitch garrett's and the story of how they got working together was because tom had a sheriff of babylon he's kind of a story quasi i told about his 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 time as a working I- overseas in, in iraq and afghanistan and they hired mitch because mitch had just done the activity in the punisher so it was like he's the military guy he can draw guns and so that's yeah. how they got together and they start talking you realize oh wait This guy also wants to draw weird superhero stuff, you know? And so from there, and then they start doing and you see the stuff that they've done on Batman, Mr. Miracle, Stranger all these crazy books here. But it starts because uh, we need a guy who can draw military stuff accurately. And so we just happen to get this guy, and it turns out that, you know, those guys are... I I was just at... I was just at um at WonderCon, I'm uh, sorry, MegaCon down in Orlando, and the two of those guys had a panel talking. It was called "The World According to Tom King," but it was Tom and Mitch there, and it was just forty five minutes of those guys just like basically busting each other's balls. It was just them that, like cracking <laughs> jokes each other. It was hysterical. It was so funny. And you think like this only happened because of a specific comic book pitch that an editor was like, "Well, I know a guy who can almost." Irrespective of what the story was, I know a guy who can draw the physical things this book needs to look like, and yet mm-hmm. that bl- that that turns into something much greater. And so I said, I read something like "Know Your Station," and and I would have guessed it was something like, you guys had met, and it was like, I got this idea for a book, and then you work on it, and then it gets pitched. So to find out that it was no, an editor had a had an eye, say, I think think this would be good here, and to get that pairing, and to see what it came to, I think. Shows to you know, Mike and I often oftentimes have questions like, "What do editors really do, especially on independent books?" And we know that can cover a wide range of things. But to know that sometimes it's like pairing, it's 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 like you know talent identification and saying this could work great with this this artist, this writer, whatever. And 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 when it comes together like that, you know, it's I think it's pretty great. So
1: yeah, it's amazing. I mean, I also I have to credit Elizabeth Bray with so much. Um, as, as the editor, she ended up picking up editing Eat the Rich um, when Matt left, and then also edited, of course, New Station. And she and I have worked together on a couple of other things. And she has been instrumental for me in um, helping me learn with every single script that I write how to better serve the other members of my team with my script. Because the writer of a comic comes is the first person to touch the story. Right. And so is the first person to pick up the script and put ideas into it. And the writer puts all of the information into it that the other members of the team are going to need and doesn't see what happens when the other members of the team pick up that script because it's down the line. And by then, you're already working on another script. And there's very rarely communication that flows backward through that process to say, like, hey, it would be really helpful for the flatter if you could put time of day in your script at every section that the time of day changes or it would be really useful for the colorist if you could indicate like uh tone shifts between scenes because they're working with light and shadow in ways that change between scenes it would be really useful for the letterer if you could indicate um where you want uh, font size to be communicating volume or it would be really helpful for the letterer if you would arrange your dialogue order in a way that's going to make it so that the balloons don't have to cross each other. Like that information doesn't flow back upstream to the writer. And so Elizabeth has given me so much of her time and wisdom by telling me when I look at a panel and be like, I'm not satisfied with this panel. I want changes on it. She'll be like, this happened because you did this stuff in the script. And then I get to be like, oh, I'm making the job of the other people on my team so much harder. Liana has done this too. Liana has taught me so much about what happens after I hand off a script and what, what it looks like to redraw a panel. You know, I, w- I will see a panel and go, this facial expression's not right. And it's like, okay, is that something you can fix in a script pass? Because here's how much time you're asking of the artist when you ask for a redraw on a facial expression. Liana hasn't said those exact words to me. Liana's is very, very nice <laughs> to me. Um, But it's, it's even beyond the immense amount of influence over the story and the immense amount of of internal advocacy for marketing and package design that um, my editors provide, I've I've just learned so much from them um, and especially Elizabeth.
2: I I love hearing that. I love hearing the inside baseball stuff that, and the things like that, or that as a reader, you would never think about in terms of like time of day. Like, why does that matter? If, you know, you're well, it, it matters to someone in terms of it, it's going to show on the page. Um, if, if things are inconsistent or don't make sense, you're going to pick up on it and you're probably not going to know why it's not going to look right. And as a reader, it's you're going to see it and you're not going to understand why it doesn't feel right, but it's not going to feel right. And it's those little things like that of understanding that yeah, that you you can you can start that process in the beginning and and have it said you said about flowing in one direction there. So I I love hearing that inside stuff about um you know the things we don't think about. I think people think often writers just you're writing dialogue, you know, and 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 obviously that's a big part of comics there. But you know some of my favorite books, um, are silent issues. I love a silent issue. Because I think that's it's it's my favorite gimmick in comics overall. Love a silent issue. Talk about well, what the writer doing that? The writer get paid for? That. I know the writer. I know the writer did a lot there because they're doing all the description there and little things like that about you know understanding you know a facial expression. Something as simple as that can be communicated in what you put in there. Because um, you're right, I think it's easier to change some words than it is to change a whole, a whole panel or a whole page of someone. Yeah. yeah I, I can, I, I can see how that might be. I can, can, we make that a script sk- a script change? It, can you maybe tweak that a little bit? Um, but I, I, I love hearing all that. That's fantastic. Thank you.
0: All right. So my next question, uh, has to do with really all your work, but, uh, particularly I finished magic for liars last week and, you know, we've, we've done, A couple reads now and know your station just to go through it in the podcast and there's the thing that connects i think most with me obviously i'm a real sucker for social commentary whether it's you or mark russell or or whomever um but there's a very particular type of world building that you employ and i get frustrated with like fantasy and sci-fi when I have to sit down and read an encyclopedia first.
2: Um, (laughs) It's like,
0: look, I'm proud of you. You did all this. That's great. But you shouldn't have to pause storytelling in order to world build. And, uh, you have just like walked that line so perfectly, but it almost seems like you write more world building than you even need for storytelling. Cause in both cases, those are functionally mysteries by genre. Um, But in one case, you know, know your station, we can surmise something catastrophic has happened on Earth, presumably environmentally related. Um, And, you know, everyone's in these colonies and you get maybe like a three page introduction, then bam, you're in the story. And in Magic for Liars, uh, you get you get the protagonist kind of giving like a drunken recount at a bar to the bartender about, Like, <laughs> here's how magic works in this world and then it's like i shouldn't have talked about those things and the rest you discover but there are like all these different departments of magic and there's mechanics on how the magic works and things like that where it's like somebody could like camp out there and write 10 books uh, and you've chosen to do single stories in both cases so i'm just curious what goes into your world building you know what drives you to do it is it all based around the story and the story needs or do you really enjoy world building for the sake of it
1: oh gosh i mean i ooh, again both are true um so on brand for me to be like i have both uh i i love world building for the sake of world building i think it's fun as hell um over at my newsletter stone soup i ran a series for a year called building beyond that was all about world building and it was just inviting other creatives to come and do a little quick world building exercise every week um that was based on a silly prompt and people took it amazing places to expand a whole world out of one idea um like the idea that everyone is born with a mask attached to their face and what happens when yours comes off um and And the whole focus of that was that world building is fun as hell. It's something that we naturally do as people. We're constantly building worlds um, in reality and in our in our minds and imaginations. At the same time, um, I, in my writing, all of my world building is story informed. i I, before I was a writer, I had a background in theater. And in the school of acting that I was part of, one of the most important things about building your performance is being able to answer every single question about why your character does the things they do. So, like, if your character, I don't know, has an aversion to mustard, you have to be able to answer the question, what kind of mustard do they not like? Have they always disliked mustard? Do they ever try it to see if maybe they like it again? What do they do if they're in a situation where they have to eat it? What do they do if they're in a situation where they can turn it down, but there will be consequences? How dedicated are they to this dislike? Is it part of their personality? Even if that's all just informing a scene where someone offers them mustard and they say, ugh, no, thank you. um, You have to be able to know all the answers to those questions in order to inform your performance. And I bring that into my books. So, you know, if like right now I'm working on this wretched novel that has been Plaguing me and destroying my happiness for the last five years. And it takes place on an island, and uh the people on the island have to be able to eat. And there's a scene where there's butter. And so I'm like, okay, so where does this butter come from? But they have a goat. What does the goat eat? Okay, so it has to eat the detritus from the garden. How does the goat get to the detritus from the garden? And what is what do people feel about that like is there a conflict between the people who manage the garden and the person who's in charge of the livestock um who's in charge of milking the goat do they hate the goat or are they best friends with the goat what do the kids on the island think about the goat because that's a charismatic but very stinky and mean animal and I've got all these questions I'm asking myself in order to answer the question what does it mean for someone to eat this butter if you give someone something with butter on it on this island what are you saying to them and like the reader probably isn't going to give a shit about that. The reader is probably going to be like butter next page, but I want to be able to answer those questions at least for the sake of the story.
0: Uh, to for, be for clear, yourself. yeah. if you wrote a 100 page short story and the first chapter was, you know, character one gives character two a slice of buttered bread and the next 99 pages were understanding what that means. I would read that. Um, <laughs> I think it is
1: I would I would love to do that. My editor keeps being like, Can you stop doing this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: Uh yeah, editors I think are are inclined to say, like, how much can we shape away and the story yeah. still works? Um and, and by the way, this is just another comparison I made uh recommendation. So I don't know how you if you'll feel as favorably about this one. Uh, but a novel writer, um, Becky Chambers. Oh, I
1: love Becky Chambers. I was like I mean, I love I love their work and I love them as a person.
0: Yeah. Absolutely a little incredible. more uh optimistic. Uh uh-huh. upbeat. <laughs> um but I think I think you have very similar approaches to material. Like I, I read the monk and robot things last summer and just, you know, I, I was I was like so into the solar punk, which is like an underdone genre, and um like learning about the characters and the world at the same time like you know the two characters are kind of walking hand in hand but so is the narrative and the world building and um that in you know the long way to a small angry planet uh the stowing away on on the ship uh i got confused for a second when i started reading know your station i was like wait is this this isn't part of that. I was like, because I had just started that book, um, so it was like, wait, no. I have two characters on ships. They're like servant class, trying to like you know fake their way uh, up the ladder. Um, so anyway, uh, yeah. If someone is listening and has read Sarah Gailey but not Becky Chambers, absolutely read Becky Chambers. If you've read Becky Chambers but are somehow halfway through a Sarah Gailey interview and haven't read Sarah Gailey, then read her. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well can I tell you I got to do I got to interview Becky um oh my gosh, must have been two years ago now for a book event and we talked about this thing that has stuck with me ever since that is deeply relevant to all my work that I think I, pro- I probably brought into know your station a bit um I was talking with her about the way that we have like a, uh, a an internalized capitalist notion that humans should be like hive workers. And should always be just working for the well-being of the of the company or of the economy. um, and that it's our duty to expend our bodies in this effort of labor. And I was saying something along the lines of like, you know, people aren't insects. We are we are apex predators. We're persistence predators. We need to take naps. We need to lie down. We need to rest. And Becky goes, well, I'm an apiarist. And I'm going to tell you something you don't know about bees. Because bees, the beehive, is like this constant metaphor for labor, right? There's right. beehives on all the signs. In it's Utah the, because the Mormon, Yeah, the <laughs> Mormon church is like, you should be like a bee in the hive. You should be committed to the whole. Oh, and she please goes, tell
0: me you're about to invert that on them.
1: She goes, I'm an apiarist. And something that people don't know about bees is that bees get sleepy. They don't have eyelids. So you can't see their eyelids drooping when they're sleepy but their antennae start to droop when they're sleepy. And if they get sleepy while they're in the hive, they climb into a pile of other bees and take a nap. And if they get sleepy when they're out in the world, they'll climb inside of a flower and take a nap. So if you look inside a flower and there's a bee just chilling in there, it got sleepy. And when bees get sleepy, they take a nap. They don't push themselves to keep working. They don't commit themselves to labor. They don't think I'm part of the hive in the hole and I need to expend my body for this purpose. They think I'm sleepy. I'm going to rest. And oh, I Goals.
2: Seriously. I have been thinking oh.
1: about that nonstop at least once a day ever since.
0: Yeah. I mean, I've been thinking about a nap since I turned 30. <laughs> like, a daily nap. Um, but uh it's nice to know that I'm I'm more bee-like than I realized. Um yeah, and I think that's probably a more apt understanding than the latest Jason Statham movie uh convince.
1: <laughs> um, I can't believe you would accuse a Jason Statham movie of not having deep insights into the nature of the human condition.
0: Uh you know, it may. Uh it is called the Beekeeper, and the tagline is Protect the Hive, but it looks like it's just him shooting people. Um
1: you know, on behalf of the bees.
0: I need to ask Becky. Yeah, He's I, shooting people like, with a gun do, that shoots bees. Yeah, do bees just yeah. ever? Yeah, do bees just ever go postal? Yeah, um, they, 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 they,
2: they, do, do they snap at all? I don't know.
0: I mean, there were the murder hornets in 2020. That was part of the the oh, yeah, but, but those just hornets aren't You
1: land me into a time right. machine with that phrase. Yeah, oh I my just,
2: gosh. I, You know, I, I, someone I just heard said, you know, uh, 2019. That was two years ago, right? But 2020 was like 30 years ago, like that. Which <laughs> yeah. I I heard that I was like, oh boy. That, that lands hard. Uh, yeah. 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 Um, so it, I want to go back to what you're talking about, about world building. Cause of that, um, and about specifically about the butter. I, I don't want to harp on the butter too much here, but it leads into the next <laughs> question do. I have.
0: Yeah.
2: The question I have here was, um, when we spoke to Liana, we, 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 we asked them about a, a specific panel in know your station. Uh, got cast flash page. Um, that was just, I found just generally hysterical. It's when Elise and Maren walk into one of the Uber rich residences. Um, and, and they see all of the possessions that this couple have and including like a, a Peloton or exercise bike. That's like placed in plexiglass, a bunch of stuff framed on the wall, including a, a poster for Hamilton, the, uh, never forget Commemorative 9-11 surfboard, uh, which was fantastic. Uh, the, the dare Christmas sweater, um, uh, other things that there was the the painting of what the Ronald Reagan in front of volcano and things like that. And, 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 um, as we were, we showed the panel as we were talking about it, um, they went and pulled up your script and they read the panel description for that. And every single one of those things was specifically listed out on there. Um, And so my my question was going to be, like, were those just inside jokes for you, things that were funny? Did they have deeper meaning? But now that when you've talked about this idea of world building, you've put this thought into how does this remote island even have butter? My question expands now of, like, did you put thought into all of these items? Because I'll I'll tell you first, the way that I read it was the uber rich people. Like, I think it starts off with the one lady who loses her necklace. Right. And it has... She mentions it has a piece of the Challenger shuttle on it. And then we see this other residence that has all this random stuff from, from our world, from, from from Earth, where they no longer live on. And the way that I read it was um, these rich people have no connection to these items. And um, it's simply – it's not about what they are. It's simply that they have possessions. Because we see someone – we see like Elise's room, and it's, it's on a spaceship, right? So it's very bare and austere. There's a bed, sink. There's a mirror. There's a tub. That's all you have. And, and the fact that I think it was Marin who says that they are the only ones who even have personal bathrooms. So the the, the idea of that, all, all the other staff has a communal bathroom. So the fact that they just have this bare bathroom is a luxury for them as staff. So you go into these residences and the fact that they just own stuff, anything that they have possession and can display it. That's the way that I read it was, that's the sign of wealth. And But there's no specific connection to these items but do you have a story for these especially knowing that you wrote that room that scene specifically with all those things and and it wasn't like just a dare sweater it was a dare christmas sweater you know like <laughs> like like that that level of specificity so I, i'm curious art said are, are these just inside jokes for you or were these things that um or is that in, in the room, like right behind you? Is that just? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah actual
1: that's one. actually just my living room. It's based on a <laughs> photograph. It, it,
2: <laughs> if you if you owned a commemorative nine eleven never never forget surfboard, um, and that's not displayed behind you at all times, uh, I, I'd be incredibly disappointed. Um,
1: yeah, I so, hope so, that I make it big enough in comics that someone will manufacture for me a uh, fiberglass nine eleven never forget commemorative surfboard. That
2: would be incredible. Um, yeah. so, so 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 yeah. No. They, they, it, 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 are, so, did, did you make up stories for yourself in terms of why these people would have these certain items or is that, or, or, or is it just something that you found funny on your own?
1: I mean, I'm going to stay on brand and tell you it's both. Uh, I, so each of these items is significant. Um, okay. It's mentioned in the script that uh, the, the people who own that suite have the largest collection of war era memorabilia um Anywhere. And the war era is the era that we currently live in. It is the era between the end of the Cold War and whenever the hell we, uh, we, the United States, stop trying to completely obliterate uh, every brown person on this planet for purposes of profit. It's also the era of the prison industrial complex, which we live in now um, and which there's uh, there's a lot to be said about when that starts, but I start referencing it in this panel with the gigantic tribute to Ronald Reagan. Yeah. Um, every item in that home, uh, with the possible exception of, I think that we put in a wall of Furbies and that might've there, just there, been- There Fur-
2: was, there, there's like a shadow box of, and there's a Furby and a teddy bear, which I just assumed was like a Teddy Ruxpin maybe. Uh, yeah, a Teddy Ruxpin, yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: Um, that was, I think, mostly just- for fun and for us, for our for our <laughs> little memories, uh, but every other item in that room is connected to the idea of a future um, celebration of the current year that we're in, and the way that both uh, American Republican and American Democratic neoliberal policy reinforces the year that we're in. Um, both of those parties, both the, the Republicans and Democrats in the U.S. are highly invested financially and uh, publicly in war and in imprisoning people en masse um, and selling their labor uh, extremely cheaply to profit large companies. So I could have put, um, you know, a framed Victoria's Secret bra. Those are made with prison labor. Um, I could have put a framed soda stream, Those are made with West Bank labor um, and are highly exploitative. I could have put uh, uh, any Microsoft product, um, but I think those would have been visually too non-specific. The Hamilton poster is immediately recognizable. I don't know if I'm going to get sued for saying that it's a Hamilton poster because we were like, it's a non-specific poster. It's it could be anything. Hamilton. Um, I, I, I don't. Yeah, I don't think it has text on
2: it if i'm i don't have it pulled up here
1: i don't think so because i, I, I think, um, I I think it's,
2: it's just the visual of of an amorphous person standing on top it might of be an been... a poster i don't know yeah yeah, uh, yeah yeah
1: listen lin-manuel has disney lawyers now i don't need that heat that's yeah, um, true. Uh, that's, that's, true. Uh,
2: yeah that's that's right that's, <laughs> I, don't, that's, I don't want
1: that, i don't want to wake up in the night with the mouse standing that, over me going, that's a big heavy <laughs> one yeah it's so, over for yeah, you yeah
2: so so the <laughs> the poster that is potentially reminiscent of of Hamilton. We'll, we'll refer to it that way. Um,
1: exactly. Yeah. It's a is a reference to the way that a lot of liberal and neoliberal people during this time period um, have celebrated the idea of a country built on ideals and that it's important that we uphold those ideals and celebrate them. And also, isn't it fun to go spend a huge amount of money to go and witness those ideals being played out for you on a stage in a way that makes you feel like you are doing something important? while still, for example, uh, voting for policies that enslave people all around the world. And of course, a little more obvious is the D.A.R.E. Christmas sweater. Yeah. Um, and this is the one where you, know, you had asked if this is just a joke for me yeah. that makes me laugh or has a story. The story behind it is obviously this is a reference to the American war on drugs. Yeah. Um, the D.A.R.E. program was used to indoctrinate American children, including myself, into the so-called war on drugs by Same. saying, hey, if you touch weed, um, you're evil. Also, if you go to a mostly white school, do you want to see the inside of a cop car? And the cop will come and smile at you and say nice things to you. And like, you know, then you'll be like, oh, cops are good. Um, So that's like why it's a dare sweater. The reason it's a dare Christmas sweater is because I thought that would be funny. So with (laughs) each of these items,
2: I was was wondering if there was a specific like that the I'm it, it, I'm I'm glad to know that one incorporates both. The, the dare obviously said I'm I'm a, I'm a, a child of that program as well. Um, I don't know, Mike. Were you Mike's a little a few years younger than me? Did you have dare in school?
0: I went to the whitest school available, so yes, it was. Yeah. I had. Dare. <laughs> okay. All right. Yep. Um, it was, it was still going. Yeah. On cop
1: came you. into the class and said, "Don't worry, I won't arrest you." Yeah.
0: <laughs> yes. No. That was, I think that was uh, that was actually on the shirt. Um, uh huh so that's Uh, what
1: every single item in that room is a specific reference with a joke on top of it so like the 9-11 commemorative surfboard is a joke about the way the United States has fetishized the events of September 11th 2001 in order to justify killing and brutalizing and destroying uh, communities around the globe and then I was sitting at my desk and I remember being like what's the funniest context for that and I was going through my childhood memories of like 9-11 commemorative plates and 9-11 commemorative like car wraps and 9-11 commemorative like sausage collections and when i when i hit upon surfboard i was like oh there's nothing better than that and that's (laughs) that's just because i think that combination is funny (laughs)
2: that's that is that is a, a, a better answer than i could have possibly imagined for that that again something that works on on multiple levels that it is it is going back to what we said when we talked about how reading your work uh reminds both of us of reading someone like mark russell the idea that there is something absurdly funny about seeing a surfboard that says never forget on it and and just vi- <laughs> visually that that visually that that can that can't not be funny it just it just is it is i now that you've mentioned the things you were going through in your mind, I, I don't know what would be funnier. There, 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 maybe there might be, but the idea, just a, a surfboard is hysterical. Um, but then seeing it in context with everything else there and hearing all of that and, and understanding um, what those, what the, the essence of the thing is, is important. And then the actual specifics are just funny like then that, that kind of idea working on multiple levels is is I said that that that's a better answer than I could have possibly hoped for. I, I on some level in my mind it was just going to be you were just going to say listen this just stuff, stuff's just funny to me. Um but to know <laughs> that it is, it is both that and also a continuation of the commentary, a continuation of of the the uh, of, of sitting with the larger ideas in the book and all of that. The fact that you can blend those together is is great. So what kind of I don't know if Mike, do you remember when when we talked to Liana about this? Did they mention like what they thought when they read that panel? Because I think I think you and I were just blown away that that it was so specific, and we we we, we were we were really focused on the specificity of wow, Sarah really wrote that into the script. Um, did 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 Liana talk about what they thought in terms I don't of recall in terms of off the yeah. top
0: of my head? But we are coming up on an hour. or I think we have just past an hour, so. I do want to give Sarah a chance to duck out. I think we have like yeah. one more question after this. Um,
1: yeah, I, I, but I, I totally want to, yeah. want to
0: respect your schedule.
1: Sure. Yeah. I can, I can hit one more. It's
0: no okay, problem. Yeah. I, 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 by the way, I did go down the rabbit hole while you were talking, Alex, of googling 9/11 memorial gift shop, mm-hmm. and um, there's a surfboard. <laughs> there's not a surfboard, but uh, there is this tote bag. Uh, okay. How the is this dogs, 9/11 memorial of the rescue dogs? Rescue dogs. <laughs> Um and I was just like, Oh, I think if I just send Sarah this link, we'll get a whole nother comic series. I, yeah. <laughs> like oh, just write God. a six issue thing on the rescue dogs.
1: Oh, and, here's the thing, man. There were six dogs the... on
2: that on that tote bag. So there's I one know. issue each a right.
1: Six there. Is- yeah.
2: yeah. <laughs> you get well, Otto's issue
0: and Everest's issue and Annie's issue and yeah. boom.
2: It's there.
1: The the depth the depth of, oh, the, I mean that that day provided a such a bottomless well of material for propaganda, um, it, and I'm still amazed by the creativity of it, the propagandists who picked is, it
2: up. It is wild to look back on that time, and, and 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 specifically on that aspect, the that commercialization of of people of all manner of thinking with good intention and maybe trying to do good and people like, I can make a quick buck here. Like they're like, everyone is in that pot right there. And you're right. The, the, the stuff that came out of it, it in the moment, I think you get so blinded by, by the event and ra- you're wrapped up in it. But then if you're able to take just like a half step back and look back and see the whole picture, it's like a forest of the trees thing. You're like, we're all insane. Like, right. Like, like none of us, none of us, like, none of this is right. None of this is, 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 is well, (laughs) everyone here has a problem. And it it is, it is wild to look back on and, 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 and see something like that. And, and I'm actually like now kind of shocked that there wasn't like a surfboard. Like I'm sure someone has one, right. Someone had to have gotten one. Well, those are limited
1: edition. Yeah. Maybe so. Maybe. There were probably multiple race cars. I mean, oh, oh, and that's the thing about like a situation like this. The reason that it's so it's so um, potent is because people feel inherent and intrinsic compassion for each other. We love each other uh, across humanity and want to do right by each other. And when you're told something wrong has happened to somebody and you can make it better by buying this tote bag, it's yeah. like sure, I'll buy a tote bag. Yeah, yeah,
2: exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. It, you it, you it, tell it, me it,
0: I can it, sleep at night if I buy this tote bag. That's great. Exactly. Yes. Uh, yeah. I can yeah. feel better. I can feel better <laughs> myself
2: because I bought this tote bag that um has these rescue dogs on it that's a right. that th- that's a human truth there so.
0: Alex uh fire yeah. your marvel question
2: yeah. so be- before we get out of here um you know having these two books you, you know you started on so you talked about doing some work with Stephen Universe first then you have these two creator owned books that we talked about uh, I also mentioned you worked on on uh, on a, a a comic in the in a larger buffy series also at boom uh the vampire slayer uh but recently you've moved in and you've done some marvel work I know you did a, a couple you contributed a couple short stories to some anthologies. There was the horror anthology. Um uh which Script of Shadows? Yes, Shadows, yes. Uh was that a a Moon Knight and uh That was night?
1: A, the Hulk, Hulk and Craven the Hunter.
2: Craven, okay um, I'm and Werewolf right. by
1: okay. Night. Okay and what was that I right. what a combo. I had so much fun with that
2: story. Yeah. That that that's a wild one. And then also um I guess as we're recording this 2024 last year's uh 2023 Marvel's Voices Pride issue you had a story in there uh the fantastically named um um Be Gay Do Crime uh which was a, a Black Cat uh Gambit story. Um so so you 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 have a couple entries into in the Marvel there and then uh you have this White Widow series this Yelena Belova series which uh as we're recording this now the fourth and final issue is not out yet but when this goes live so if you're listening to this as it comes out, um, you should have yesterday on Wednesday uh bought white with what White Way to issue four. Um so so it, it'll be out by then. And I look forward to to reading that in my future as recording this and your past as you're listening to this, I would have already read it. But I'm curious, what was that like moving into uh kind of the larger connected universe, but specifically working with the character in Yelena, um, who I think people know now, they, they have a wider knowledge of now thanks to the mcu and and florence Pugh, i think she was so incredible in this character that really i think even like you have to be like a hardcore avenger head to really know who who she really is um because she doesn't i think it's interesting that your book is kind of about her discovering who she is as a person because so much of her time she's been around since 1999 do i have that right i think somewhere in there she's been around 25-ish years um, as a character. Oh,
1: don't tell me that nineteen ninety-nine was twenty-five years ago.
2: Yeah, I know that's that. That just
1: hurt my heart.
2: Yeah. Uh, I, yeah well, yeah, I, yeah. That that that, How that does it, this happen
0: every episode? Does I don't know. I don't know. We're like twenty ten. Yeah, it was a couple years ago. Oh, I, I, I'll no. be honest. I, I
2: I only know that one because that was the year I graduated high school, and so I'm getting the emails from the from my school of like twenty five years, and it's like, well, that's that that that's Violent. that's depressing. That's wildly depressing. But I well, gotta dead. I know Yelena's a character who in her existence in Marvel comics has really only been defined by her relationship to Natasha Romanoff, the original black widow. She starts off as an antagonist and then like a reluctant ally replacement black widow, the new black widow to where she is now um, as like an, not a a blood sister or or closer to what they have in the MCU uh, a sister in arms, I think is what she refers to as. And that started in the, um, the black widow run written by Kelly Thompson that she did with, Elena Casagrande and and Raphael Del Torre, which is so, so good. And that's where the name White Widow comes from. So you're given this character who's never had a solo series under this new name, this new moniker, the White Widow, with a personality that doesn't quite really exist and you've been tasked to, to find that and work with that. So what kind of runway did you have working with the editors at Marvel to, to find a voice for this character who said, really in metatextual publication history and story history hasn't really had a story of their own before.
1: Uh, It was a, it was, I think as much runway that they could give me. um, It felt like a very, uh, hmm. I was intimidated by the prospect of this because first of all, it's Marvel, right? And I had written a couple of shorts for them, but this is a much bigger project. And I was like, okay, I need to bring my full on a game at the same time as this was happening. I haven't really spoken about this before. Um, I was going through a pretty significant health crisis and was like, okay, gotta get my body and brain in shape to do a good job with this. And ended up, this ended up being my sole focus for some time was just building out this character, her story, the world she's inhabiting, her goals, um, what she's driving toward. And I wrote an incredibly dry, um, very deeply traumatized character who really based on a lot of my own life experience is doing the thing of coming out of a very high control environment and a life in which all of her ideas and thoughts are very under lock and key and starting the project of developing a sense of self. Um, And it was, it was so much fun to write. And I brought I brought so much uh to the page. I think my first script was like 10,000 words long, not because of dialogue, but just with in- immense descriptions of characters and places and dynamics and letters and these like really thorough descriptions. Um and then I got to work with Alessandro Miracolo, who's the artist on this one, and Alessandro brought a sense of looseness and light and fun to the page that I had not envisioned and could not have imagined. And I remember when I first saw the inks for issue one, I was like, oh, this character can be really fun. She can be really like funny and silly. And so I had initially this vision of this very dry character inhabiting a very fun and silly world, right? She lives in a small town where the local coffee shop um, as of like, like issue zero. Um, is called Beans and Jeans and it's your local place to get coffee and raw denim. (laughs) And I was like, what is this very serious, very dry person going to experience this coffee shop as? And Alessandro drew this character who like, very genuinely is like, no, I love Beans and Jeans. I love this combination. Um, And it was so fun to evolve the scripts to kind of match that fun sensibility in the art. That
2: that is legitimately blowing my mind because the way the character reads and i didn't want to seem insulting or patronizing because the way the character reads feels like it has been in some ways influenced by what you see in the live action movies in the way that the way that you see the character as very dry very sardonic um, but often kind of like the straight man, like the the person who doesn't get the jokes, you know, but but like knows they don't, like the idea of like not getting the metaphors or things like that. You saw that some in Kelly Thompson's run where she would say something very, uh, uh, very straightforward and characters around her being like, like, is she joking or is she serious? And you don't know. And that's where the humor comes from. And so reading, reading your White Widow series, I got that sense there. That, that, okay, this is the character evolving and the way that she can be kind of funny and sardonic and sarcastic and things like that. But you're telling me that that, that came from after you had written that first script and, and as these scenes were coming back, that the character evolved based on what you were seeing in the art and some of the other things around it.
1: She evolved, I think, to be a lot funnier yeah. throughout these four issues. Yeah. um, I also There's also an interesting challenge with her, which is that she is Russian yeah. and... Uh, important to me, and I clarified this early on when I took on the project, uh, disavows Russian politics and Russian yes. oligarchy and is like not, inter- I was like, hey, just want to check in that we're not going to be reinforcing any like yeah. Russian propaganda <laughs> efforts, right? And um, my editor, Alana, was like, no, calm down. Yeah. Um, it's true for both Yelena and
2: Natasha now. They 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 have yeah. disavowed. They, they are no longer Russian in terms of identification. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. But she is, she is Russian as, a, as an individual. Yeah. And she needs to have a Russian accent. And I have, I have spent a good amount of time around uh, people who speak Russian as a first language and, who, and Yelena canonically is not interested in speaking um, unaccented English. She is very interested. She wants to retain her accent. She wants to retain her connection to her um, mother tongue. And so in writing her, I wanted to avoid a trap some writers have fallen into elsewhere with her, of giving her a kind of cartoony accent, a little bit of like yeah. a Boris and Natasha accent.
2: The, 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 um, the, in, in Soviet Russia, that kind Yeah, of exactly.
1: Yeah. But it also needs to read as somebody who speaks English as a second language. And a lot of her um, literal humor and a lot of the jokes that she makes that involve um, literalism are English as a second language jokes where she is playing with the language. She is enjoying knowing that this thing she's saying um, could be taken multiple different ways. And she's saying, I want it taken this way and because that's funny to her intrinsically. Um, And I think that... I don't know. I've heard from several people that she feels very MCU. And I think part of that is because she's funny. She, in some earlier of her story arcs, was not as... She was not in as humorous a context. She was no. suffering quite a lot. And I was yes. like, I don't... We also, we were we were aging this... Um, not aging it down. We were... The rating, we wanted to have this be accessible for teen readers. Okay,
2: sure. Which, which makes sense. Also, yeah, to hit
1: yeah. that rating involves not including some of the content of her other arcs, which get uh, yeah. quite adult in content. Yeah, there, um,
2: there's a lot of, a, a lot of the kind of borderline the, the the max line, you know, where things were were intentionally more adult, that that kind of where she exactly. came from, I believe.
1: So, yeah. Yeah, and so I think the combination of making her accessible to younger readers and putting her in a funnier context and making her a little bit more light um, has yeah. made a lot of readers connect her with Florence Pugh's, I think, iconic performance of her as Yelena. And that's fine with me. Like, I yeah. know that there are some Yelena fans who are very unhappy with that and oh. I feel for them, but it's also like,
0: don't mis- tell me over- they're on the internet to
1: more readers. Yeah. I know happy on, yeah, the internet. Fans Can you on the believe?
0: internet. What? Never
1: I, heard of that I love how deeply invested people are in this character and how expressive they are of their investment. <laughs> yeah. And also if the thing that I wrote invites more people into this character and into loving her and into discovering more of her backstory um, and reading back issues of her story and getting to about her life, I've done a good job
2: that's that's that is oh. fantastic they the the fish out of water thing I think works for that kind of little drier sardonic humor of, of it's observational um which does make to my my last question about what would specifically the um a gigantic board of the things that elena loves likes is neutral on dislikes and hates, which again is just you can stop on that page and, and you can't see every entry, but you can see a lot of them in there and see what falls under, under which category. And it's a great running gag as she goes to the town and experiences new things. You get the meter up there of, does she like this? Does she love it? And it's, it's such a great fun visual gag. Like in the middle of a fight, you get the same kind of meter up there, which every time it comes up, I it, it's hysterical to me. Um, How much fun was it to make that board and decide what goes on there and Again, did you make up and be like, this is why she would say this is something she loves, something she likes? Like, did you have a a decision for her or or was it just a matter of like listing again, listing funny stuff there? Or did did you have in mind some idea of what Yelena was thinking?
1: So this is like uh, a place where I think my uh, one of the other people who obviously, I think unavoidably influences my comics writing is Matt Fraction. And I think that (laughs) shows in this list specifically, because Mm -hmm. I think Matt Fraction and I share the quality of loving a background gag. Um, I I love a background gag. And this list is like the ultimate opportunity for one. At the same time, uh, the thing she's doing is not, she's not consciously doing it for this reason, but it's a dialectical behavioral therapy technique of learning to identify when things are pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral to you. Um, because learning to be able to just identify that and say it is part of learning to tolerate discomfort and learning to become comfortable with the fact that discomfort and survival can exist at the same time. So for instance, I might say like, I'm having some back pain right now, that's unpleasant. That doesn't mean I have to freak out and, you know, shut down our interview and like, go run into the other room screaming. It just means I, I have this happening in my life at the same time as this lovely, wonderful conversation. So Elena is in the process of building a self and learning to make observations and decisions for herself and learning to hold her own opinions, is learning to say, here's some things that I don't like. And I can say that I don't like those things without having to kill them. And here's some <laughs> things that say. I like. And I can say <laughs> that I like those things without having to kill for them. And that's like a big thing for her. Um,
2: Ma- major step for for, for a character yeah. like Elena. Huge step. Huge. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Every item on this list was very intentionally chosen. Okay. There are some things that refer to her backstory, um, mm-hmm. some things that refer to her comics backstory, some things that refer to her MCU backstory yeah. in an effort to unite those ideas a little bit and say, you know, these these are the same character. and so those things can exist at the same time. She can uh she can hate things from her comics and she can love things from her film appearances. And then I also threw a couple things in there just as treats for me. Uh like her canonically hating beats. I hate beats. Yeah. And I was okay. like, you know what? Yelena hates beats. And if you like Yelena, you have to agree with me. <laughs> yeah.
2: Also very very daring, Russian not liking beats. I mean that's that's, mm-hmm. that's 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 a that's a that's a daring choice for 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 a Russian character to come out and say like you know what, beats no, don't like them. Don't like them.
1: Like That's her real tragic backstory.
2: Yeah, having be.
1: been yeah. Russian and hating beets. Yeah,
2: yeah. no borscht for that. her. So. <laughs> I
0: did force myself to like them a few years ago because how?
1: How? How did you do it?
0: Well, I was vegetarian, and I was like, you know, um, I started with smoothies, and so I started mm-hmm. like I started juicing beets, and then I started smoothieing beets. And then I started roasting beets. It sounds like I was only eating beets. I was like <laughs> dipping my toe in, like once a month. I would. You try, were dipping your toe into a beet. beet. <laughs> beet. Yeah, that yeah. no, was a beet bath. uh It gives me my natural glow. Um, <laughs> I was and, gonna uh, say you
1: really yeah. radiate beet energy. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's golden beets. Yeah. yeah.
1: Uh,
0: <laughs> um, they still taste like dirt, no matter what yes. you do to them. Um, yeah. But like Everyone really is like, sweet ooh, dirt. you
1: don't like beets. You don't like, like. what if you roast it and you put it with goat cheese? I'm like, it's, it tastes like a beet. You're not changing anything.
0: Yeah, it's <laughs> it's just hard for some people to wrap their heads around not okay. liking certain foods. Um, anyway, uh, we've taken up far too much of your time. And I apologize for that, but I'm very grateful for uh, your willingness to talk, chat with us. Is there anything coming up other than White Widow that you can promote right now?
1: Um, the thing, the only thing I can talk about is uh, at my newsletter Stone Soup. Um, I am. Ju- I just launched a new series. I run a series at Stone Soup every single year, which is a very like Capricorn thing for me to do. I'm very like, oh, I have to put structure on this newsletter that no one is in charge of except me. And this year, I'm doing a series in which I interview the entire team behind a book. So, you know, books, um, both novels and comics, are often represented by certain members of the team that creates them. The novels that I write, people will say, this was made by Sarah Gailey. But the reality is that it's a collaboration the same way a comic book is. Um, There's a huge team of people who make every single one of my novels happen, just like there's a huge team of people that make every single one of my comics happen. So I'm interviewing teams behind books. Um, I just released the interview with the team behind the Woods All Black, which is um, the upcoming Lee Mandelo book. Um, it is stupendous. It's a, uh, an Appalachian folk horror um, about a trans traveling uh, nurse who comes to a small town in an Appalachian community and discovers that something dark is happening in the community. And I got to speak with the editor, the production editor, the cover designer, uh, the assistant editor and the uh, marketing and publicity director. Oh, I hope that I'm remembering all of those right. I'm sure that I got one of the titles wrong, but.
0: We'll clean um, it up in post-production.
1: Yeah. Yeah. There's, just there's, just there's, dub right. one of your voices over my voice. Yeah, there is no, no post production.
0: Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, I, <laughs> and, I think we have enough data that AI will be able to do a decent rendering yeah. of your voice
2: now.
1: And what could go wrong with giving AI yeah, the ability what? to reproduce my voice? Um, so I got.
2: We all read Know Your Station, and clearly, n- no problems with AI giving bad prompts to AI. No problems yeah, nothing, whatsoever, though, whatsoever. Yeah.
1: No problems ever. Nothing um, bad comes from that. Secure. Uh, so I've got a lineup of, I think I've got 10 more um, interviews coming this year. And some of them are with people who self publish, some of them are with. People who make graphic novels, some of them are with people who made novels in different genres. I think they're going to be really something cool. Um, so I hope that your listeners will come and check that out.
2: That'd be great. Yeah. So where, where can they find that again? Where, where, where should they go to to sign up for for the, the newsletter?
1: So they can go to my website, uh, uh which has a link to the newsletter, or they can go directly to stone-soup.ghost.io, which is the long URL. Oh,
0: yeah, but it'll be in the uh, episode description of our episode. So people can just uh, click on that. And while they're there, you know, give us like a five star yeah. rating or whatever. Um, <laughs> I, I think it's only option. I think it's five stars or nothing.
1: It really is. Yeah, um, I, I think so. that, that is all you can do.
0: And you um, do
2: have, you say you're, you're working on some comic stuff, but it's, it's not in a position where you can announce it quite
1: yet. No, I can't say anything. I can just okay. say that I have five projects currently in conversations. So you you probably can't say if
2: these are like for Uh higher stuff or creator own stuff, you probably can't hit on that either. I can't say this
0: one of the publishers rhyme with room.
1: (laughs) I can't say anything, but I can say that hopefully everybody will keep on buying the comics I've already written so that people will keep making, letting me make other ones.
2: Absolutely. if We can encourage anybody to do anything, go out, buy Sarah's books that have been on boom. Whether it's Vampire Slayer, Know Your Station, Eat the Rich, um, White Widow over at Marvel, um, support the work because uh, if you've got five books in the hopper, uh, I, then I, I need to read all five of those. So
1: <laughs> one of them is just about butter.
2: Well, what, then, 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 that, <laughs> that's the first one I'm reading. Then that, that, that's,
0: I hope it. Uh, yeah, it's just uh, in a visual appendix to this one chapter <laughs> in another book. Just find uh, a publisher for that. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, they'll be they'll be lining up to the public, yeah be yeah, beating down them? your door like,
2: absolutely yeah. there's a bit, content. There's a bidding uh, war already. Yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, uh, yeah I think there will be a lot of churn in the industry as they try to nice. get their hands on it. Yes. <laughs> I'm trying not to get invited back.
0: No, no, no. So uh, okay, so that my definition mm. of a pun and and mm. um um is that it's not a pun unless someone in the room hates it.
1: Like, uh-huh. yes. Someone yeah, has, has to do what Alex pain. did,
0: which makes it. And that so person much... is always me, by the way. It's always <laughs> Alex. Yeah, it's
2: oh, it's always it's always me. Um, um,
0: I've had to edit cricket sounds into the podcast when I, <laughs> when, when I feel like I've nailed one, and he will not, like, look at me for five total seconds. no sell,
2: yeah. total no sell on
1: my part, brutal. Uh,
2: yeah. yeah. Uh, but I I, I got that, that that was pretty good. I got it. That was pretty good. Thank you. I I, I it, it was stealth. You know I, I, I wasn't expe- It was an obvious one. I wasn't expecting it. That kind of that kind of came out of nowhere. So that, that, that
1: props for that. <laughs> yeah, it good.
0: just comes out of nowhere and creams yeah.
2: you. Yeah, I
1: know. Alex, I'm so sorry for like that. <laughs> uh,
0: I was like, okay, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway. Thank you so much for your time, and uh, we will have links to all of uh, their work. And uh, if and we'll catch you after the podcast. If you have a preferred store people shop at online, I assume you have at least one you prefer people not to purchase your work from. Uh, uh-huh. So, uh, so we'll we'll add some links for uh, positive referrals, uh, and we'll go from there. So, thank you so much. Can't wait to see what you do next. Thank you so much.
2: Thank
1: Appreciate you so much for having me.